So you're proposing a 4% flat tax. How much will that be in specific dollars for our government? I'm still crunching those numbers because there's so much revenue that gets swept through the cracks. How do you know if 4% is enough then if you're still crunching the numbers? Uh, it's a, just an educated guess at this point, just based on exponential math. Boy, we can't have a president doing guesswork. I mean, that's how we got into Iraq. Welcome to You Are the Guest, a weekly show where you can be the guest and tell people what you and your friends and neighbors think about news events and issues of the day. It's part talk show, part opinion poll, part reality show, and a whole lot of fun. And it's completely dependent upon your participation as a guest. To be considered as a guest for a future show, check out the website at www.youaretheguest.com for details. Now here's your program host, Bill Grady. Greetings from the great city of Fort Dodge, Iowa, and welcome to show number 65 of You Are the Guest, the show where we talk to everyday people just like you and me about their lives and about the issues of the day. Our guests today come from Indiana. They're the principals of the Common Sense Political Party. Minus Larry and Dee, welcome to You Are the Guest. Thank you. Hi, Bill. Hey, thanks for having us. First question I need to ask you guys is this serious or is this a publicity stunt? Well, this is serious. It, it's serious, yeah. It, it kind of, it's been a publicity stunt in the past, but uh, this is the real deal. We're really doing this. So one day yeah. you just woke up and said, hey, I'm going to go run for president of the United States. Uh, no, this is something uh, I just and I have talked about for a while. Um, it's something that we uh, really want to accomplish. It's near and dear to our hearts because we believe that uh, we have what it takes to make an actual difference out there. We aren't career politicians. We're the average Joe, and we think it's time that the average citizen had a voice in government again. We have no corporate affiliations. This is We're bare-bottoms people. Um, I, myself, am on welfare, and I'm doing this simply because I really believe we can make a change, and I'm all for making a change. I have a little girl who I want to be able to grow up in a safe world, and you know, I've asked her what you want when... When you grow up, what kind of world do you want to live in? And she says, I want to live in a clean and safe world. That's why I'm doing this. Um, it, it doesn't get much more than that. We are common, and we believe we can make a change. I admire the people that want to run for president, and I, I'm always fascinated when the common person says, hey, this is something I want to go through, and this is something I want to try to achieve. So I hope you don't mind that I ask some very, what some people might call direct questions, but these are questions I think that voters, because they only have one vote for president of the United States, would want to ask you if they were able to sit down and talk with you. So, so is that okay with everybody? It's okay with me. Fine with me. Okay, here we go. First of all, when you talk about change, what are you looking to change, and why are you the answer for that change? Well, we want to change the way the government does business, the way the country does business as a whole. So much is locked up in different committees, and, and it's all partisan politics, Democrat versus Republican, and the Americans get left out of the middle. Uh, like there are things that, that we've been looking at for 20 years, 30 years, that they're never going to make any progress on, and they're never going to make a decision. And it's because they're playing, they're playing the polls. They're doing what they have to do to keep their job. And we're saying, next to that, we want to just do what's good for America, period. Have you ran for political office before? (laughs) 
this is my first run uh, in the real world. I did do one digital, but uh, I lost that one. I figure you're supposed to lose your first election. But uh, I'm always the type to to make a big goal. I don't like the little goals. I like to shoot for the stars. So why the highest office in the land for your very first political run? The White House is the only thing that can hold my uh, enormous ego. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think Midas also said it before that uh, drastic times call for drastic measures and drastic goals. And I think that right now we are, we are living in an age of drastic times. So once again, why are you the answer for oh. what's needed to change the country? I'm uh, willing to stand up and, and, and not worry about polls like the politicians say they don't do, but I'm really not going to. I've got clear-cut uh, clear ideas on, on a lot of things, and because I'm, I'm not beholden to anybody, I'm really independent. Do you see the, the fact that you don't have any political experience as a detriment to your campaign? Oh, yeah, definitely, but... Uh, there are people that, that do know this stuff. We're going to look for the best advisors in, uh, in all areas. Pretty much the same thing that, that all the political parties do anyway. We're, uh, we'll be picking and choosing guys from both sides of, of the aisle because we think it's a little bit of both that needs to be done. So you're going to turn yourself into a political machine? Pretty much is the ideal of what it would be as to whether or not it works out that way. Um, will be something else. But, yeah, ideally that is what we intend to do, and it's a grassroots campaign. We're trying to become a nonprofit organization, and that means that, you know, the people out there that aren't connected to the corporate world out there and that aren't really heavily into politics are going to jump on our bag when and say, hey, I want to fill that position right there. No problem. If you're qualified, we'll put you there. But if you pick people from both sides, won't you also have the elements of, corporate funding, and also lobbyist groups? I mean, that's how political machines get influenced. Uh, who would like to take the lobbyist? Well, one of our, one of our platforms are, is the uh, getting rid of lobbyists. Um, they are an unnecessary evil in Washington. They've had too much power for far too long. And, and one of the things we would like to see done, one of the things we would like to uh, accomplish is, is make sure the lobbyists go away. Well, really? Yeah. Yes. So how do you feel about little girls and senior citizens? Because the AARP is a lobbyist group, and so isn't the Girl Scouts of America. Well, yeah. uh, So would you like for those organizations to go away? Well, we've got to to figure out some way to, uh, the, the main thing is to stop the corruption in the Congress and everything with, these lobbyist groups, we need to set clear-cut uh, guidelines, things that will not be done, things that can be done, and and, it, and it's the business of, of Washington that that's where the problem is. It's it's in the money changing hands and things like that. We already have those laws. So what is wrong with the current system? We don't enforce them. We have things like the Mark Foley scandal, where it's it's covered up for three to four to five years because guys don't want to do what they need to do because they're afraid that if they get involved, it's going to cost them their job. So just to kind of backtrack, do you want lobbyists or don't you want lobbyists? Hmm. 
Because I heard earlier that you really, you were going to eliminate all lobbyists, and now you're kind of saying, well, if we just change the laws, I think that would be okay. So where do you stand on lobbyists? Uh, we're, guys, we're going to really think about this one a little more. Because uh, it's, it's been pretty much a, uh, you know, we just, lobbyists are bad, we want to get rid of them, but uh, they, they do have a place in a way, but there's, the, with government feeding the lobbyists, you know, where these guys are, they're leaving their government jobs and, and getting these lobbying jobs, we, the, the people of America have got to take their country back from this kind of corruption. And the only way we're going to do it is to, to unite the common man. And uh, and pretty much that's where I figure that's uh -oh. where our appeal is going to be. Can I share some insight with you? Because I've talked to a lot of politicians in Washington, and what the representatives will tell you is that they depend on the lobbyists to give them the information that's needed because they can't be experts in broadcasting. They can't be expert in packaging. They can't be the experts in livestock. So they need sometimes the lobbyists to come in and inform them of all the issues that are going on and how government affects them. And I agree with you where there are some lobbyists that are bad, and sometimes the lobbying gets out of hand, but that doesn't mean that the VFW, which is a lobby, is a bad organization, or the Girl Scouts of America, because they lobby, is a bad organization, if that makes sense. It's more the, it's, yeah, it's more the corporate lobbyists. It's the ones, the ones that are really you know, swinging the axe these days the last several years in the government they're the ones it's well with philip morris owning so much and rj reynolds they're into everything it's so it's we're but, in a big game of monopoly but let me play devil's advocate with that if, if i am everything let me play devil's advocate with that for example you mentioned those companies but if you're an employee of those companies, if you're if you have an hourly wage job, you're also being represented by those lobbyists. So if you are able to take away those voices, aren't you then hurting the worker that works for the companies that are represented by the lobbyists? That we're trying to unite. Well, it's change is going to take some, uh, it, it'll take some pain and some sacrifice. There's a lot of things that are going to have to be done, and that's where the decision will be. Do we want to change the course of the country, or do we want to just keep on doing business as usual? If you want to do business as usual, you know, then don't vote for me because we're going to do everything we can to change. If you're for change, then let's stand up for change, and let's realize that just like this Iraq war is going to take a long time, change is going to take some time. You know, it's it's going to be a slow process, but we're going to be on top of it every day. If you're elected president, you'll be working with a predominantly Democratic and Republican Congress. Who will you side with to put your platform through? Every guy that I can shake hands with that I can get on my side. Uh, I'll be going to both of them. because that, Doesn't that sound kind of like going to the highest bidder? If you say, I'm going no, to no, go no. with anybody that, that supports me? Well, no, because... It does sound that way, but uh, it's anybody we can get on board, basically, with our way. 
Yeah, at the rate of sounding cliche, at the rate of sounding cliche, I think it's about leading by example and trying to do our best to unite the bipartisanship that's going on and that runs rampant and, and show people that, you know, working through party lines hinders rather than helps. And if we all work together, if we all have a common goal to make things happen and make it go in the right direction, then, you know, uh, things will follow suit. And maybe that's a, a highly idealistic view of it. But, I mean, you know, change takes time and change takes ideals and standards sometimes to get the ball rolling. And I agree with that. One thing that always fascinates me with the independent candidates that want to come into Washington to make a change, usually they are the outsiders wanting to change. And if you were elected president, you would really be a Washington outsider. Oh, yeah. And and, and my example for that is Jimmy Carter. Jimmy Carter was a person who was very smart, had political experience. He was the governor of Georgia, yet he was seen as a Washington outsider and had a very miserable administration. So knowing that you would be an outsider coming in, how are you going to be different from, say, Jimmy Carter? Uh, Well, first thing, I don't have any political experience, so we're going to be Doing things a little different, I guess. Uh, I, but but one of the things that, that personality. But one of the things when it comes uh, down to experience is that if I'm on an airplane and the <laughs> pilot says, "You know what? Uh, this is my very first airliner flight." I'm kind of saying, "I want to get off the plane. I don't want to be on the guy's first flight. I want to be on the guy's three thousandth and ninety sixth flight." If that makes sense. And- I understand what you're saying. It, you know, it's like teaching, teaching a teenager how to drive. You know, the first time out, you're holding on, you're praying to God they don't stall the car out. Um, I, I guess part of our appeal is that we don't have the, the, the political experience, and then if we do get into office, which is our ultimate goal, that we would, in fact, be representing the people that haven't been represented there and trying to, to extend their voices the way that they need to be extended. Our health care system sucks. Um, excuse my French. Uh, our, the war in Iraq is, is not where we want to be. There, there are some internal changes that need to happen. FEMA dropping the ball and us still having people down there living in trailers, families of three living in trailers with two places to live in. There's a lot of aspects to look at when, you know, we have to look at the issues. We can't... It, well, we can't do any worse job than what's been done. Right. Basically. Exactly. If what's going on in Washington now is an example of experience, then I think maybe we are due for some... Uh, fresh ideas and fresh faces and maybe some, uh, uh, you know, non-experience. I agree with I you that... Gonna... Go, oh, go, ahead. go ahead. Go ahead. No, please, go oh. ahead. <laughs> okay. Back to the... Uh, I'll take it back just to where we were talking about who would we work with in Congress. Uh, we would go for the guys with the common sense that would, would realize that what we're saying is what America wants. And, I mean, there's guys that have been running the government. There's guys in, in President Bush's administration. I would look for guys that have been in Clinton's administration, uh, the previous President Bush, any of those guys that keep around that that had common sense, that, that understood what we were doing and would not mind cutting ties with the different lobby groups that they were close in with. Because it isn't about political affiliation. It's about America and doing what's right for America. And so what platform do you think the voters will most associate you with? 
if you're a little bit here and a little bit there, then don't you really become nothing for no one? No, I think it's exactly the opposite. I think we stand for equality and uh, uh, common good for everyone, um, because it's not about uh, Democrat or Republican. It's not about you know uh, party lines. It's about right and wrong. It's about common sense, and it's about a common goal so that everyone can sample the American way of life and, and get as close as they are able to achieve to the American dream. The common man has his, he's on the ground, they've got their foot on our throat, and all we want to say is, hang on, let's take another look at this thing. And I think those are all really great qualities, but as a voter with somebody that only has one vote, I'm not sure if I want to give the keys to the airliner, which is the United States of America, to somebody that has got good intentions of putting the plane up and getting the plane to the destination and putting the plane down, but doesn't have any experience on doing that. Well, we've got two years, and that's why we started now, so that we can start learning these things. We've learned a whole lot about politics, because when we started, we didn't even know how to actually go about starting the campaign, and we've learned that and more. And uh, we've been into it for just a week and a day now, and I'm thinking six months down the road we're going to have a lot firmer platform for one thing, and we're going to have more knowledge because, I tell you, I'm reading all the time, and I've always been interested in politics anyway. So, Fair enough, fair enough. Let's talk a little bit about your campaign right now. How will you compete for airtime, print space, FaceTime against the political machines that are the Democratic and the Republican parties? Well, we're going to use the Internet for all it's worth. We are harnessing it for all of that. Uh, But the majority of a lot of these people that you're looking to represent, many of them still don't have access to the Internet. And, and we intend to campaign across country um, within the next six months. We hope to have a, a, a bus available to us, at least some kind of uh, on-the-road living quarters, um, uprooting our lives. We're going to do that. We're going to try to hit every 50 states. Uh, you know, you can't hit every place out there. Talk shows, radio shows, uh, those are other things that we're looking at as possibilities, as well as the good old-fashioned newspaper. Everything and, family, and anything. And the families of the people that are online, uh, Everybody that's, that's jumped on the bandwagon so far is talking to their family. They're, uh, they're all jumping on board as well. And it'll be that grassroots effect. It's going to be a wildfire throughout the country. Let's talk about some national issues. Where do you stand on the national health care crisis? Oh, wow. Who wants to take this one? I, well, I, I'll take this one. My, my wife works in the insurance department at a clinic here in Irving. And uh, so I've seen it from all sides. And the problem is the, uh, it's the HMOs, it's the insurance companies. They're the ones that have raised the prices up. They're the ones that have made it so hard for the doctors and the patients. And it's because of their, their ability to get the politicians in their pocket. And that's, they are the main lobbyists that I'd like to see reined in myself. Because you, we're paying all this money, and we're getting the lousiest health care we've got Elderly, without their medication, they're trying to decide, am I going to eat, am I going to have my medicine? Uh, it's just so ludicrous that it's, it's got to be the main issue that we address. We've just been putting it on the back burner for the last 12, 13 years now. So what are your solutions, and 
how are you going to be able to get those put into place where others have failed? Because I'm going to be a pit bull. I'm going to stay on them. But so are. But to be fair, and 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 I don't mean to be rude here, the other people that were trying to do health care reform were also very well-meaning people. Being well-meaning isn't enough. How are you going to be able to get this solved? By the time I ride into Washington D.C. January twentieth of two thousand nine, I'm going to have an army of Americans behind me, and we will be demanding that this is done. For one thing. But so didn't the other people who were trying to do health care reform. The people will eventually either vote the people in or vote the people out. As long as we hold that stance and we continue to try, and that is all we are promising anybody, is that we will try to change these things to the best of our ability, to the benefit of the United States. So what is the... the It it still lays in the hands of the voters. So what is the solution other than you're going to try? What, what things specifically are you proposing that will change the health care crisis? If, if we cannot give Americans health care, then we will not provide our Congress with health care. It will be, I mean, it's their health care that's going to be on the line as well, because that's going to be the platform I come into with. This is what I'm going to have the people behind me on, because... So, so in other words, you're going to go into Washington, D.C. and say, we're going to take away your health care. How is that going to win friends and influence people across the aisles as you're asking them to get on board with you? Well, the thing is, these guys that you were mentioning earlier that have tried to do this with the health care and everything, that they've got out the votes, they've had the people behind them, they've gotten a very small percentage of the votes. I'm, I'm talking wildfire. We're going, to, we're going to get out the vote. The people that have been way too apathetic to get out and vote, the people on welfare, the people working in three minimum wage uh, jobs just to make ends meet, they're the ones that we're going to get to the the voting booths. Either we're going to have everybody behind us or we won't be there. And I don't mean to be rude here, but it seems to me like you're, you're telling me what I would call the locker room quotes. You know, we played a good game, we left it all on the field, but you're really not offering... A solution. So, can you give the the listener right now a firm, specific way that you're going to change the healthcare system? Well, I think it goes back to trying to standardize it, um, trying to make it universal, trying to make it affordable for everyone. Uh, you know, I think it kind of goes hand in hand with uh, Midas's flat tax policy. Um, hopefully, we'll be able to get into that. Uh, you know, using the tax dollars to to formulate uh, standardized health care systems so they're going to be affordable to everyone and that the elderly out there won't have to decide whether to pay their rent one month or buy their medicines. And how are you going to be able to get the drug companies on board with that? We're not going to tell them that we're not going to sell the product. We'll just give them a flat rate of which they're going to sell their product at. We're not denying them access to it. We're not telling them that they're not going to have a job for them. What we're saying is is that we're going to make it so that our people, the United States of America, every citizen can have access to health care so that they can be healthy, so that we can have a healthier state of being. You know, the elderly will get their medication. We won't have to worry about it. Children will be able to go and get their immunization shots. Um, those that are disabled will be able to have the medical facilities they need so that they can either rehabilitate or continue to live in that kind of of environment that's necessary for them to live in. 
and I think we're not talking about taking away the medication. We're we're talking about standardizing it so that it's available to everybody. Oh, and, and I understand that. But what I'm asking is, what rewards or what penalties are you going to give to the drug companies or the HMOs to get them on board to your new plan? Because it seems to me that they kind of like it as it is. So what is going to be the motivation for them to change? Everybody's still going to make money, man. Yeah, we've got to get them all to the table. But they're making a lot more money now. And they're stealing from the American citizen. Right. So what's the reward or what's the penalty for them to change? The volume business alone, you know, they're going to be making more money our way because more people will be insured. If they would make more money that way, they'd be doing it now. The drug companies aren't dummies, and neither are the HMOs. If they, if they found a way that they could make more money with cheaper prices, they would. But they're going to fight it tooth and nail. So what solutions do you have that would either give them a reward or give them a consequence to change what they're doing? Dee, I'm sorry on this one. All, on this one, all I've got is the mandate uh, that we're going to if we have that mandate at the votes, if we are able to build these votes up and, and get there, we will have that in hand, and they will have to negotiate at that point, or they won't do business. Exactly, and they can take their business elsewhere. We can produce products in our, in our own country without having to go outside of our country with different plans that we can implement, and if they want to leave, that's fine. They can take their business with them. We can find other solutions. Let's move on to maybe some international issues right now. What should we be doing about the trade deficit between China and the U.S.? We've got to crack down on the black market of uh, pirated goods here in America. We just look the other way at all these knockoffs that are being sold all over the place. Okay, explain to me the black Rolex watches. Explain to me the black market. Because I don't think a black market is in the $102.2 billion that is attributed to the trade deficit between the U.S. and China. Come down to Dallas and I'll show you a little place where they probably do half that business every weekend. But but none of that right. is, is counted. If it's black market, none of that's counted in those numbers. Well, the, we're, we're talking about legitimate no, numbers. But they're getting their goods on the black market. They're selling them in regular stores. And so they're, they're paying the taxes and all that. So in other words, Walmart is buying their goods from the black market. They're not doing it directly. Not Walmart. No, these are other businesses. These Right, but, but I'm, I'm talking about the legitimate... I'm talking about the legitimate businesses that are buying goods at a faster rate than the Chinese citizens are buying ours. We bring our stuff back home. Yeah, that's because yeah, we're so dependent on the foreign market because we've outsourced so many jobs on these things, and we've got to bring those jobs back home and stop buying, stop importing those goods. If you're gonna if you're gonna export our jobs, when you bring that back in, you can pay the difference between the process it was for you to make that job to, to export our job and the minimum wage of the person it would have taken to make it. How is that a solution for China? It's not a solution for China. It's a solution for us. For America. You know, foreign relations or not, it's, it's, we have to be able to take care of us and, and act like the parents that we pretend we are and take care of our own before we can go anywhere else. We need to bring those jobs and stuff home. I'm sorry for China. But wouldn't a better solution be to maybe put some diplomatic pressure on China, on the Chinese government, to say, 
if you're going to export all this to our country, you better take off some of those levies so our products can be sold in your country? Wouldn't that be better than what you're proposing? Well, we've got to decide, are we, do we want a free market or do we want a free market with restrictions that we make? Yep, but but what you're proposing, but what you're proposing has no consequences to China. Well, when we stop buying their goods, it's a consequence for them. When we start remaking them here in the United States and bringing those jobs home, there are people in the United States that are willing to work hand over fist. All you have to do is give them a job. So why isn't corporate America doing that, and how are you going to be able, as president of the United States? be able to reverse that because to me that would be something that no other human being has had the influence to do in the past. I don't think that it's going to take one human being. I think it's going to take the coalition that's going to form behind us of the political people that are already out there in grassroots campaigns. It's not going to be one person's decision. It's going to take a cabinet of people to change that. It's not going to happen overnight. It will take time. But it, it, it's going to be the people that, that fall in behind us that are already involved in politics that will help to fill those positions and help to advise the people that are already there so that we can, can, that we can get these things done. We can't, no, one person cannot do all these things. It, it's a cabinet of people. It's, it's a team. It takes a team to raise a child. So, you know, it's going to take a team to run the United States. Well, and it's taken about 140 years to make it corporate America. It's going to take us at least a couple of years to uncorporate it you know, un- unincorporated. Why would you want to unincorporate America? <laughs> because for the, so the rest of us can have a, a shot at an American dream. So that the- But there are some people that work in corporate America that think it's pretty good. So you would be alienating those right. people. But there's a whole lot that don't think it's very good either. The guys on the bottom end don't. And, uh, because not all corporations are evil. Let's talk about another international issue. What is your plan for stabilizing Iraq? Oh, man. Because you're probably, if you're elected as president, you're probably going to have that problem. Oh, yeah, that's definitely going to be the big problem. And uh, part of it is to let the military have a little more say in, in what's going on there, rather than than it being such a civilian-run war. And How is it a civilian-run war? Well, I keep hearing from the generals through different news organizations that we need more troops, and we need this, and we need that, and then all of a sudden we don't give them that, and, and it's, it's swept under the carpet. But that's not the civilians doing that. But we also have, we have a lack of proper training in the military over there. Most of these problems that we've had that have come up that have been the big news stories, the, the torture in the prisons and, and things like that, have been due to poor training because we're trying to rush everybody into place, like with training the Iraqi uh, forces. You can't train 100,000 uh, new forces in six months because you can't find qualified candidates for, to fill those many positions in six months. In other words, your solution would be to send more troops. Well, I also think it's also about reestablishing our ties to the international community that we have disenfranchised. Uh, You know, going back to the U.N. and saying, we're a new administration now. We're not the old administration. Let's take this back to the table. Let's get some international support. 
let's set some timetables and guidelines and, and, and look at this realistically and say, okay, you know, we've created this mess, um, and now we have to make sure that it's cleaned up before we can actually just pull the troops out willy-nilly. We have to set some clear-cut goals, some clear-cut timetables, and stick to them. Fair enough. Let me ask you another geopolitical question here. Do you favor the selling of F-16s to Pakistan, and why or why not? Uh, I think we've got enough enemies now, and it seems like every time we sell military equipment to another country, we end up at war with them in the next 10 years. And we're looking to kind of reverse that trend. So you would be in favor of going back on the friendly status with the Pakistani government, who has given us lots of help and support in rounding up the terrorists in Afghanistan. I, I still question their... Uh their uh, devotion. I mean, or what word am I looking for there? Motive. Yeah. And why? Are they not predominantly Muslim there? That's that's the thing. We have got to get a better footing with the Muslims. If if they can assure me that they really are on our side, that that they're not just playing games with us because of the way we are doing that sort of thing, you know, that we're playing them like they're want to play us we've got to get we've got to get some honesty and some uh, integrity back in our dealings with these foreign countries it's it's uh, so would you be in favor of selling them more f-16s or not no no we wouldn't um it, you know the kind of support that we can give them if necessary is, you know feed the people if if anything they don't need to be armed it, I, I realize that they're dealing with armed people, but are we not doing the same thing over there in Iraq? We walked into people who weren't exactly ready for us, and, you know, it's, I don't agree with the war being over there, and yes, we do need to evaluate how we're going to get our troops home and how we're going to regulate what's over there. And so, in other words, you would go against our commitment to give them the means to defend themselves. Well, how are F-16s going to help them help us find the terrorists? That's a more... A, a ground effort there. That's door-to-door. So they're asking us to take the place and terrorize the country that's terrorizing them. Is that correct? No, they're asking for us to sell them the F-16s so they have the means to go after the people that go after them. Well, uh, I seem to recall we were helping Osama bin Laden with all kinds of arms and training fighting the Russians in Afghanistan. And then, lo and behold, through his CIA training and things like that, and the contacts he was able to make and the arms we gave them, that's why we're fighting them today. I say, well, we may upset the Pakistanis, but at least we won't be sending our boys over there to die 10 years from now. And that will also collapse all of their cooperation as we try to continue to stomp out the Taliban, which has come back and, and taken over in Afghanistan. And that's kind of what I was saying years ago before we went into Afghanistan, was the Russians have already been defeated there. The, the French are telling us not to go to Iraq because of all the trouble they had there, but yet we go anyway. We stepped right into another Vietnam. We haven't learned lesson one in the government when it comes to this sort of thing. You cannot go into another country and defeat the people on their home turf. 
but but how is we were able to establish our country against the British? But how is alienating Pakistan going to help that situation? It's not. We're just not going to do it. We're going to do what's going to make America better. And part of the problem is... And, and they're going to say, if you're not going to sell us the F-16s, then we're not going to help you in Afghanistan, so get out. Well, the war there is kind of like the drug companies. They are they're keeping us treated, but they're not doing anything to cure the problem. That's what we're doing there anyway. Because every time we have a... T- a a raised terror alert or a big news story on uh, some kind of terrorist plot that we've we've foiled or that the British have foiled, all we do, that's letting the terrorists win there, making a big deal out of what they're saying. Every time Osama makes some kind of tape and we make a big deal about it, ooh, 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 here's the boogeyman, then we're helping his cause. We need to, to ignore that sort of thing and take care of it internally. That's what our military's for. That's what our intelligence community's for. They don't need to be doing that. It's, there's more hype to it. Just like with all the, the kidnappings of kids back in the 80s, there was so much news about it that everybody thought that if their kid walked out the door without them, they were going to be kidnapped. When the reality was that it was a small percentage of kids who were kidnapped. And here's the final question. You're, you're proposing a flat tax proposal. What is that flat tax proposal? It's uh, a flat tax, no deductions, straight across the board, be it personal, business, whatever, corporate, the whole thing. If For every dollar generated, you pay four cents to the government. That means all those big fancy deductions for losses and development, things like that, are gone, yet we're paying a much smaller percentage all the way across the board. Why only 4%? Because just doing rough numbers on it, uh, it seems like the the fairest thing that way. The uh, the poor, the ones who are paying no income tax now, they'll be paying a little bit of income tax. And so many of the uh, the more affluent will be paying more real tax, but a smaller percentage of what they have. And because basically four percent is all we really need if we get rid of all those deductions. Now, here's my question to you. Most of the surveys or most of the studies that I've seen concerning the flat tax, they recommend anywhere from 10 to 20% as a flat tax. You're coming in with no experience in Washington, and you're proposing something that's dramatically less than what the financial experts are saying. So... Do you see that as being maybe a financial train wreck for our country? Well, I think they're they're looking at it in a different way. They're looking at it the old way, the same way. And if you keep doing the same things over and over again, you just keep getting the same lousy results. But but isn't four percent? Isn't that dooming? Uh, let me ask because let me ask you this question: Is there another country in the world that has a four percent flat tax? And is it working or is it not working? I, I don't know of any that are actually using it, to tell you the truth. And the Baltic countries in, in Europe are doing it. Lithuania and Estonia have flat taxes. Their flat taxes are 26%. And you're proposing a 4%. And so my question to you is, 
for somebody that doesn't have any political experience would be a Washington outsider, why you think 4%, which is a Germanic departure from what everybody else is doing, is going to work? Well, everyone else is still incorporating all kinds of loopholes and deductions and things like that. They're not. So you're proposing a 4% flat tax. How much will that be in specific dollars for our government? I'm still crunching those numbers because there's so much revenue that gets swept through the cracks. How do you know if 4% is enough then if you're still crunching the numbers? Uh, it's a, just an educated guess at this point, uh, just based on exponential math. Boy, we can't have a president doing guesswork. I mean, that's how we got into Iraq. Exactly. So if you're actually, if you're guessing four percent, there it was hard-headed. That's that's going to not be good for the country. We don't need anybody that guesses stuff. And I'm not trying to be rude. Oh no, and you're not being rude. I, but again, my answer is I've only been at this a week, and uh, so I'm. That's why I'm still crunching the numbers. I'm still trying to get all the numbers because I don't know how many dollars are swept under the carpet. Okay, that's fair enough. Corporate America. That's fair enough. You're, you're you're saying we'll still look into it. I, I admire that. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. We're looking into all this all the time and, and finding people, or working toward finding people that know these things much better so that they can help. Yeah, at this stage in the game for all of us, we are admitting that we, we have no experience. We're new at this. Uh, we will look into things, continue to reevaluate, reformulate, until we feel that we have it perfected enough to where, uh, you know, we can say, hey, this is what we propose and this is why. Um, you know, I think we're, it, it, to some extent, putting the cart before the horse a little bit with this interview, but we do appreciate you having us on here. And, you know, even when we do uh, roll into Washington, as Mida said earlier, we are not going to be the type of administration that will, if we do make a mistake, if we do get caught with our pants down, we'll say, hey, you know, let's take it back to the drawing board because we do want to make things right. We do want to make it better for everyone, and, and we aren't going to, um, you know, be hard-headed, stick to our unnecessary guns when, you know, it's not working. If it's not working, then, hey, you know, let's put it back on the table and reevaluate it and tweak it until it is where it needs to be. Fair enough. Because one of our buzzwords is an open mind. Yes. And we intend to include, you know, as, as many opinions as we can with that, um, especially of our common American. One of the things that we know for a fact is, is that you can't please everybody all the time, but we are going to try to please the majority. Minus Larry and D, it's time to play Ask Bill 3. This is where I'm going to turn the microphone over to you, and you get to ask me three questions about anything. So fire away. Go for it, Midas. Okay. I want to ask you... Uh, What's your favorite motorcycle to ride is? As I'm getting older, I'm enjoying the cruiser a lot more, but there is something about getting on that sport bike and the acceleration that uh, says that I'll always have a sport bike in my life. Very good. Yeah, I, uh, Do you ride your, yourself? Yeah, well, not as much as I want to. I'm looking to buy a, a bike right now. Uh, I finally broke down and went legal and got my driver's license for it. Uh, rode for years without a license and uh, found out I'm not alone. There's a lot of people doing that. Uh, I'm looking at a, a uh, Triumph. Oh, I would love to own a Triumph. They are, they're so affordable. <laughs> they're 
they're right in line with the Kawasaki's, and uh, as far as price goes. Are you looking at the Bonnevilles? Yeah, but mainly the Bonneville because I don't, I don't really want the cruiser. I don't like my feet out in front of me. I like my feet underneath me like I'm riding a horse. And, uh, you know, like I've got stirrups there. <laughs> and uh, they're just, they've got such built-in, you know, they're classic. Absolutely. By the way, that's the uh, model that the Fonz used to ride on Happy Days. I was thinking it was, yeah. He had a Bonneville. <laughs> What's question number two? I've got one for you. I've got one for you. Out of all the presidents in U.S. history, which one do you admire the most and why? Although there is a case for Lincoln as being the, the most important president, I'm going to say George Washington because of the fact that had he taken the advice of becoming king of the United States or making this a monarchy, then our country would have been completely different. And really, all he wanted to do at the end of the war was to go back and become a farmer and, and be a common man as much as he could. Now, now Washington was a very uncommon man because he came from affluence and he was one of the wealthiest farmers in Virginia. And he also had a lot of advantages that many of the common people didn't have. But I think because of the way that he started the government, because of the way that he saw the way the country could be and got it off into the right place, I'm going to say Washington was our most important president. How about for you, Larry? Um, of our time, I'm a great admirer of uh, Bill Clinton. Um, I think he started out kind of the same way, uh, maybe from different backgrounds, maybe from different advantages that Midas and I are. But, but I think he shared a lot of the same honesty and goals and visions that Midas and I have. And um, we kind of want to recreate uh, and, and even take to another level the, the atmosphere and the economy and uh, the peace of mind that we had in those eight years. And, you know, I guess at this point, if I can, I'll just say that if you give us four years, your answer will be might as well be as to your favorite president. <laughs> Back up here. You, you said Bill, you, Bill Clinton was honest? Is that correct? Was honest. <laughs> well, okay, he... I mean, I mean I, he, here's, I, here's a man that went on television and said, I did not have sexual relations with that woman. And then in an interview, when he's out of office, he says... Well, you know, I did, and I lied because I could. That's to me, is not a man you want to say, I'm going to be with you just you know, lied. He, he did have his flaws. Everyone's human. Everyone's prone to make mistakes. Um, but, but you, can't go, on, uh, but you can't go on this show and say he was an honest man. Right. <laughs> well, at the same time, I mean, he was kind of showing us that, yeah, that's the way the system is, that I can do this. And uh, yeah, he, he did it, even though people were saying he did it. So. He, he, w- he was a politician, and he did some good things, and he did some bad things, but an honest man is not a way that I would classify Bill Clinton. Okay. Just my well, two well, cents. If, you talk, if you're asking me of all time, I'll say it's Abraham Lincoln. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> retract your statement. Retract your statement. Hey, what's question <laughs> number three? All time. I, Hang on just a second. My dog is at the front door. Number three is... And if, if you don't like this question, let me know. Will you have us on again a little farther down the road? Absolutely. 
Absolutely. You've been good sports. You've answered all the questions as as best you could. And I would love to have you back, say, a year down the road or something, maybe when you've been out on the campaign for a little bit. Would, yeah. would that be okay? Sure. be wonderful. Yeah. I think so. I think at that point we'll have shown a lot of growth, or we uh, we won't be there to do that interview because <laughs> there will be no story there. <laughs> do you want to give our listeners a website address or someplace where they can find some more information about your candidacy and about the Common Sense Political Party? Although we are thinking of changing the name a little bit, we're thinking of changing to the Uncommon Sense Party. So, uh, but right now it's commonsenseparty.livedigital.com. Minus Larry and Dee, thank you so much for being our guest this week on You Are the Guest. Thank you for having thank us. Thank you, Bill. Thank you very much. We appreciate it. If you'd like to be a guest on a future show, just go to our website at www.youaretheguest.com. Submit your first name, the town where you live, and a short description on why you'd make a good guest. There is no charge for being a guest, and you'll have the opportunity to share what you think and how the news and events from today affect your life. The show's producers will contact you by email if you're chosen for a future show. If you'd like to drop me a comment about this week's show, just email me at billgrady at youaretheguest.com. That takes care of this week's show. From the great city of Fort Dodge, Iowa, I'm Bill Grady. Thanks for listening.